Hi, everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of Radiate. If you listen to our preview episode, you know that we've got a lot of amazing stories to share with you. And one way we're going to be able to support this venture is with the help of our friends at Midroll. They support many of the people we love to listen to, like Mark Marin, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Aisha Tyler, and the folks at Gimlet Media who produce one of my favorites, Startup. As we build this relationship, we want to keep you, the Radiate listener, in mind. So I would love for you to take a quick survey at podsurvey.com slash radiate. It's completely anonymous and will take only five minutes. Plus, if you enter your email, you get the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We give out one gift card a month. So make sure you go to podsurvey.com slash radiate. And even if you've taken it before, we hope you'll take ours to help support radiate. Thanks for listening and enjoy our conversation with Andrea Jung. What defines success? What's going to make you tomorrow's leader is if you can find the solution that perhaps your boss and your boss's boss can't solve. What happens when you get knocked down? If you haven't had some lows and some failures, you're really not going to be able to have written a real story. What makes some people radiate? I've always sort of had a belief that you don't run out of a burning building, you run into it if you really are a leader. This is Radiate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radiate, the show where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. This is our inaugural episode, and appropriately, we're kicking it off with someone who's practically seen it all. Andrea Jung is the CEO of Grameen America, a nonprofit microfinance organization. But before that, she was the CEO of Avon, one of the first woman CEOs of a major Fortune 500 company. She graced magazine covers and power lists over and over again. But then it all came to a grinding halt. Sales began to slow. The stock price fell. Before long, she left to start over. In this conversation, Andrea talks about her upbringing, what she had to overcome as a woman in the corporate world, and the skills that helped her along the way. Here we go. I'm sure a lot of people ask you this, but like, what's the secret sauce here? You know, one of the things I have to attribute, whether you call it a secret or the secret to my success, I mean, you know, really growing up in a, in a traditional um, Chinese family, mm-hmm. uh, you can probably relate to this. I mean, the, there are a lot of the cultures, the values, and the disciplines that I think have fundamentally shaped who I am, you know, as a person and as an executive. And I think they played a big role. I mean, and I, I'll just kind of name a few of them. But, you know, we grew up around the table, you know, uh, with the philosophy that, you know, you don't give up. I mean, you, you know, yes, it's about hard work, but that nothing's easy and that you have to sort of start from the bottom and and work your way. I I remember being uh, just out of college and I started in a training program at a department store at mm-hmm. Bloomingdale's. And in those days, you know, the first several months of your training program, I mean, really literally I was in the basement changing clothes on hangers. Um, and I mean, the only time I ever saw the light of day was, you know, a very small and tight lunch break. Mm-hmm. I remember calling my parents and saying, you know, you came to this country, you paid for an Ivy League education, this is not what I should be doing, I really want to quit. And right. about, you know, a, a good amount of the, the people in the training program by sort of three months in Thanksgiving, were already starting to quit and look for other jobs. And, you know, I sort of was right in the pack and my parents said, you know, you don't quit. 
you start at the bottom and you work way up. Did you think it was going to be so easy? We didn't, you know, raise you to be a quitter. Mm-hmm. You've got to persevere. Um, and that sort of stayed with me, and I stayed. And I became, you know, in those early days, you know, one of the youngest vice presidents and and ended up having a, a really, a, you know, amazing opportunity at a very young age to lead. Mm-hmm. And if it hadn't been for some of the, the value systems and the kind of upbringing that I had yeah. uh, family-wise um, and uh, sort of the do's and don'ts from mom and dad, I may not be sitting here today. So that is a big secret. You know, I had a boss once who had a poster behind his desk that was of a potted plant. It was like a tree in a pot. And when anyone used to come in and complain, you know, I'm not getting promoted fast enough, I don't like my boss, I don't want to do this job anymore, he would point to the poster and say, you know, bloom where you're planted. And that also is something that I think, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with this thought of perseverance. I mean, there have been many jobs I didn't love, many people I didn't love working for, but you kind of try and learn from that. You take a boss and you take their style and you say, you know, I don't want to be that kind of boss. Yeah. And take a tough situation and kind of make it a learning experience. And so sort of perseverance and sticking it through, those have been some of the more foundational learning experiences that made me a better leader in the end. But you talked about this before. I remember um, I was watching, I think it was the Makers video on you, where you said something like, because you had been passed over, I think, once for the top job at Avon, but you said I could have actually left, but I decided to stay instead. So that was that... That was is that the upbringing speaking? Uh, yeah, that was the upbringing. But there, I would say equally um, the other secret, uh, um, which I hope I'm not exclusively uh, someone who has this, is there. It really came down to passion for the work. Mm-hmm. So you know, to me, another definer besides sticking it out and perseverance is you have to love what you do, um, and a job is a job. Any career is even a career, but passion kind of rises above all things. And I have seen people who have been enormously bright, enormously successful, but they actually just didn't love their job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, names not, you know, shared here, but, you know, people who've been extremely successful oh, by somebody's like definition that, in oh, investment yeah. banking who, like, they hate oh, it. Oh, I know. Yeah, and I, lawyers. <laughs> you know, right. You know, so I, um, I was at Avon in the, the early 90s, and... There was, you know, so much visibility to kind of at that time, women breaking through or not the glass ceiling. And in that time, there were only, you know, a couple, two, I think, women who were CEOs in the Fortune 500, uh, myself being eventually the third. But in those early days, 1997, so the late 90s, there really weren't women, you know, in the C-suite, never mind in the corner office. And I had been told that I was the front runner for the job. And then the business, you know, took a turn, there were some challenges and they decided, oh, we're going to be more comfortable with someone who's, you know, a man who had been on the board, who had had the job before, so I was passed over for the job. And at that time, uh, you know, several publications including the New York Times, you know, front page business, you know, really made a big article about the glass ceiling is still alive and well. And women get passed over for the job. And, you know, as a result of that, because I, you know, I had a good reputation, I was offered two CEO jobs hmm. immediately. And I had... Funny how that happens, right? Funny how that happens, isn't it? Uh, but I had a mentor who had given me a piece of advice that was essentially, you know, follow your compass, not your clock. 
uh, not everything is just about the job, the title, you know, and everything that comes with it. It's just, you know, do you love what you do? And so it was an inflection point for me in my life as well as my career that the concept of, you know, I can stay here and be number two. And, you know, the guy who was given the job was in his early 50s, so it wasn't like I was going to get the job in a couple of years. It wasn't like he was 64 and just going to do it for a year. It was, right. You know, I was sort of agreeing if I stayed not to get the CEO job uh, or go right then and there and, you know, have the title and everything that came with running my own show. But I guess the compass in me and the uh, passion I had for the work, the kind of business we were in, empowering women, um, and actually even some of the challenges the company was going through, I felt a loyalty to the team and to the people. You know, And I've always sort of had a belief that you don't run out of a burning building, you run into it mm-hmm. if you really are a leader. So I thought, you know, I can either kind of get out of this situation, go get a great job. Most people might say, why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. But something in me was saying... I love the people. They kind of need a leader that knows them, so some kind of transition. I never woke up saying, I have to be the CEO. That wasn't right. my end goal. I guess really my end goal was to do work that I loved, to be able to contribute at a level and be involved in work that I'm passionate about. And so I made the decision to stay. And you know, as it happens, a couple of years he later, wasn't right? successful, not even you know, 18 months later. 18 months. They removed him from the job, and I, I got it. And, you know, sort of the rest is history. Uh, but having said that, if I go back and look at it and say to myself, so if I knew that then, of course, most people would say you would do it. But, you know, if the if he had been successful, let's say, and he wasn't removed and, you know, you would have been actually the number two at Avon and not the number one, would you have, if you had known that, would you have still stayed? And I, I think my answer would have been I, 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 I wasn't wanting to leave. You know, I wasn't wanting to leave for a title. You know, I think that, my career advice for people young and you know not young Mm -hmm. is that it's very hard to find work that you love it's much harder to find work that you love than work Uh, and many people make a change to run from something yeah as opposed to running to the right thing and I felt like that would have been my situation. I would have been running to something that sounded better, had a bigger title. Exactly. But maybe didn't have the purpose or the mission that I actually personally was as drawn to or as I had so much fulfillment from. So it, it worked out, you know, obviously to be game changing for my whole life and my career because it was obviously a stepping stone to, you know, a huge responsibility and privilege of the role, but also with particular work empowering women in a hundred and plus countries that, um, you know, changed my vantage point and, and has a lot to do with what I'm doing today, mm-hmm. even here at Grameen America. But uh, I go back to that, that, that point in my life, which was a big decision. And uh, it really was about choosing something that was not just in my head, but, uh, you know, you have to have the heart for your work. What was it like when you actually finally, wh- what was it like when you finally got into that CEO role? I'm just C-suite. curious. Yeah, what I mean, was it, was it just, like? You know, I was the, you know, one of three women in the role and like did your life change overnight I mean like yes I mean it you know it was kind of a whirlwind and you know all of a sudden um it certainly got a lot of press because Mm -hmm. there weren't many women or minorities in the job Um, or a woman and a minority and a woman and a minority (laughs) in the job I I I felt internally it was interesting because you go from being a peer um, and so I, it didn't come from the outside. You know, I was an internal promotion. And I was somebody uh, that everybody knew. 
So that, on one hand, was great, but all of a sudden you go to be their boss. And so right. people that you went out to lunch with and out to drinks with, you know, complaining about people, like, all of a sudden, you're right. it, you right? You can't anymore. do that anymore. So now, you're, now I, I always remember that when I, I was in, um, you know, a middle management job, I would get into this, the elevator. And if the CEO got in the elevator, I would be like, oh, my God, why did I get into this elevator? What am I going to say all the way down to the first floor? And I remember after becoming the CEO, like, you know, people would walk in the elevator and I'm thinking to myself, are they thinking that? Are they thinking, oh, yes, shoot, I got in the wrong elevator in this bank. Do I have to talk to her all the way down? And so I... And it was uncomfortable for you too, right? You know, and I was, so I kind of made a commitment from that point, like, you know what? I'm not that old and it hasn't been too long ago that that was me. So... You know, I really wanted to go out of my way to make people feel comfortable that, you know what, right. I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I have this role, but I've been in your seat and I really don't want this to be the, oh my gosh, it's the CEO mm-hmm. in the office the big with boss. the big box who doesn't really know what's going on and isn't like a normal person. So internally, I had to, I had the fortune of knowing everybody and having everybody's support, but I also had to transition into being the CEO uh, where look, it's a tough job. Everything that's great, you know, you get the credit for, but more importantly, everything that's bad, no matter what, mm-hmm. you own it. It doesn't matter whether it happened at the lowest level. I mean, you know, people always say it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lonely job, and that's an understatement. It, it's it's, it's um, impossible unless you've been in that seat to understand that, you know, everything ladders up no matter what it is, and you can't do everything and do everybody's job, but it's just you take the accountability on, you know, certainly in a public company, and it's... Uh, it's an it's it's a big mantle. When we continue, Andrea tells us how to handle our emotions at work, even the urge to cry. But first, this. This episode of Radiate is brought to you by Pipe Drive. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you know selling can be tough, but it doesn't have to be. Pipedrive is the CRM for small teams with big, big ambitions. They take the pain and frustration out of tracking deals with email or spreadsheets. Salespeople and entrepreneurs love Pipedrive because it visualizes your sales pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems. It ensures important activities and conversations don't get dropped. And sales managers love it because they don't need to nag their teams to use their CRM. Pipedrive is easy to use and simple to get started. You can be up and running in minutes. If you need extra help, Pipedrive also has great tutorials, and this is important, an incredibly supportive response team. Some other cool things about Pipedrive include forecasting, iOS and Android mobile apps, some great integrations with the likes of Google Apps, MailChimp, Zapier, Yesware, and many more. It's also got a powerful API for those that like to build their own software solutions. Head over to pipedrive.com slash radiate to start your 30-day free trial today. So I want to talk a little bit um, in the time that we have a little bit about your personal life in terms of your like your your sure. own career your ups and downs right yeah so tell me what was your and because we talk a lot about this with with all the people that we've interviewed you know your career low like tell me like what was like a moment where you struggled and how did you get out of it oh those are I mean so many because you know I think it, it, I'm a big believer that 
you know, if you haven't had some lows and some failures, you're really not going to be able to have written a real story. So I think you wouldn't like have lived everybody, if you don't you have lows. Have, if you didn't, you wouldn't have lived. You wouldn't have risked enough. You wouldn't have been in a job long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you know, have more than we have time for. You know, on this. <laughs> so pick uh, this one. Wonderful, but let, let's just see one. I mean, one really I- important one. I would just say is when I um, I did not fight my board hard enough on a decision that I think had huge implications for the company. And it was a big learnings because, you know, any CEO, obviously, you've got to deal with the board. um, And board governance is really important. Boards have to be independent. But, you know, I I had an instinct. And, you know, I I just, if I I have, and all of us have some, if I have a regret, you know, I I, I wish I had, um, you know, really... fought harder because in the end I think my instinct proved itself right but at that point you know we had incurred a lot of costs that mm-hmm. we sh- we shouldn't have when was this around and this was um in the you know in in the in the past 5 years okay past 5 8 years and so you know it, it's recent but it was a lesson learned for me for sure was this during the time when it was you know a lot of scrutiny on Avon right i mean like there was Talk about the stock price. Talk about the sales targets. Talk about SEC in- inquiry. Was it was this during the time? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. And you know, certainly it's a tough time. I, you know, when I, when I look back, I certainly it was twenty twenty years with the company, thirteen years, and you know, fifty two quarters of being a public company CEO, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And there were certainly a lot of cycles. Um, and then the last couple years, some of the challenges that we faced came with external challenges, you know, some internal challenges. Um, but through it all, you do realize the real importance of making sure everybody is aligned on decisions that you make as mm-hmm. management, but also as a board. Um, so that was one lesson. I can go back even in history, though, in Avon. I mean, I remember we, you know, we, we, I took a risk, and there's no question about it. Um, uh, and we decided to have a retail venture. Now, we weren't selling the same brand, but we decided to create a line and a brand that was sold at retail uh, and that was was that mark no it was actually it was called becoming becoming but, okay um you know we really felt that we needed to see if we needed to venture out beyond just direct sales uh and the lessons learned there i mean it didn't succeed it was a i think the right idea with the wrong partners mm-hmm. but having said that what was my big lesson learned you know what make the decision fast to kill it. Um, mm-hmm. You just, everybody's going to make a mistake. The worst thing that you can do when you make one, my advice would be uh, from the front lines is kind of hold on to it a long time. I mean, I think, you know, you've got to be able to, as a CEO and as a leader, you have to be able to admit when you've made a mistake and move on yeah. as opposed to drag it out just because you authored it. And so therefore admitting that it wasn't good would be wrong, so you just keep going. Mm-hmm. That, that, that. So we killed it. It's like pride, maybe. Yeah, I mean, ego. Uh, one of the things that you know I like to think is is the way I would counsel anyone, any young leaders, is fail forward. Mm-hmm. If you don't fail, you haven't risked. But if you make the same mistake twice, then that's a problem. So you know, learn from it and use that failure to kind of move forward and, and be a better person, leader, and organization because of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, right? so absolutely. And, and I like, 
you know, Bar- Barbara Corcoran, who um, has been on our show a few times, she'll say, you know, she said to me one time that, you know, the people who are most successful are those who, when they fail, they'll just get up the next morning and do the same thing, you know, do the same thing, get up, you know, pick themselves up and, um, and, and just make the same phone calls and, and, you know, and go on. I like to modify that a little bit where, like, if I fail, at least I get one pass that I can go home and cry my eyes out and, like, eat a big tub of, of, of ice cream. Ice cream and right. And then I'll the get, and then I'll put my suit and my lipstick Absolutely. back on. You know, and one and, of like, the did you ever have moments? I mean, like, oh, all you, the time. Like, are you Because you're so well put together. It's like, do you ever just go home and, like. Absolutely. Head at the end of the bed and not wanting, you know. Yes. I, I, the like, thing that's hard. But the thing that's important is, you know, you forget that everybody's looking, you know, the, everybody's looking at you, you know, yeah. is she, is she okay? a woman? Yeah. You know, um, and you have to kind of, you have to just keep going, you know, and you have to just do whatever you do, either at home, over a tub of ice cream, or in your office, behind the closed doors. But when you walk out, people are depending on you. Um, and, you know, and I've seen leaders in crisis situations who the stress, they wear it. But then everybody who's following them, you know, is going to have an impact of that. So you've got to suck it up and you've got to go out there and you've got to motivate the people, even if you are freaking out and you can't let them know. Because if they just think, well, our leader is freaking out, out, then let's all just freak out and let's have a multiplication of this freak out session. And it's not productive. So you've got to kind of suck it up no matter what you're thinking inside. So do you I mean, put your game face you on? You just have to put your game face on and you have to like, you know, if people, I mean, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, she's, she's still smiling so things must be so okay. Things and okay. I, was, I didn't actually even think about that but the implication, every facial expression, every, every sign, you know, it's taken and, and magnified because that's what leadership is. Look at Obama. I mean, anybody. I mean, heads of state. I mean, everybody is scrutinized and it just comes with the ter- territory and if you don't have thick skin, get over it. I, I was at the White House with George W. Bush at a, at a state dinner uh, for President Hu when he was the president of China. And uh, I had the distinct pleasure of sort of sitting next to the president and on the other side was his mom. And, you know, there were a couple things at dinner that I'll always remember. One is a mother's a mother because Barbara <laughs> Bush said to him, you're eating too fast. <laughs> that was like my very favorite line at the dinner. But my second favorite line. That's hilarious. And this was just after all <laughs> of the, you know, I'll call it the media discussion about New Orleans. Okay. Mm-hmm. He said to me, you know what? I, um, uh, I, I just, I, I, I can't, I don't read it. I just go to bed. I mean, I'm going to get a summary of it, but if I sit there and read, you know, you're always somewhere between, somewhere in between how great people say you are to how bad people, the, the truth is always somewhere in between. I'm just not going to read about it, and I'm just going to keep plowing because I just can't let it get me down. You just got to keep leading. Have you, by the way, ever cried at work? Oh, a million times. Um, really? Oh, yeah. I, I have had the extraordinary privilege, and I've done it too at Grameen, of crying at work from emotional joy at the work we're doing. I have... Been, I, I remember being at Avon events listening to some of these women whose lives had changed um, and I mean I, I was weeping listening and, and here at Grameen you know we've had um, a lot of people whose lives and their families lives have been fundamentally impacted and when I hear the stories that some of them tell of uh, I, I you know I met a woman who essentially was a victim of 
you know, domestic violence. She had a young child. She was living in the subway station until she got a $1,500 loan from us by which she invested in sort of renting a chair in a salon. And today she kind of runs that salon and she's got employees and she's, you know, kid is educated and she's been able to, you know, make it out mm-hmm. of that poverty and situation. And I, it, it brings happily a tear to my eye that a, it's so inspirational, and B, that you know I can be involved in that work. So I often tear up. Um, but those are those are good tears. But have I have I you know uh, have I actually gotten upset? Um, you know, in in cried in in the office. Yes, there's no question about it. And do I think I'd you know been in a situation with just a few people when the situation got got really tough? Absolutely. I mean, you know. Me I think too. people who tell you they don't either haven't felt enough about what they do, cared enough about it, um, because to me it's a sign of caring mm-hmm. and being emotionally invested. If you don't really care and you don't give a whatever about it, that's another story. So just to wrap up, I mean, you know, you, you said a little bit early on about like what the secret sauce was, but what would you, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give someone? That is beyond the usual, you know, follow your passion, work hard, you know, stay tenacious. Like, what would be, like, one piece of advice you could give someone? I think you have to be constantly willing to change. Not who you are, but how you work. Um, I think that the any industry is rapidly evolving so unbelievably quickly that if you can get stayed in kind of, I do it this way and I like doing it this way, I think it's game, set, match. You know, whether you're in journalism and, you know, who knows about print versus digital or whether you're, I mean, in banking and no one's ever going to come to a branch anymore mm-hmm. because everybody's going to do everything. I mean, technology, you know, this in this in this era, I think the rapid speed of business is completely going defunct unless change is rapid that's what's happening and what that implies to young men and women alike is that you know you may be trained on something one year and then six months later they're gonna you have to do it a completely different way and you have to be flexible and you have to be adaptive and you have to be I guess hungry and curious to learn and to change Um, and people who don't adapt to change I've, I've been surprised at some people in even the young generation that kind of get stuck in their ways and that's the way the company told me to do it and that's the way I'm doing it and I really don't want to do it a different way and you know it's one thing if you're four decades into a company but if you're young you need to expect to be required to change all the time change how you are actually doing your job and change how you know and be a change agent for the company so that's one and the second thing I would say is that you know be the solution I am always, always impressed with young people who come up to me and say, here's what I have to say to you. 25% of it is the problem that you should know about is going on in your company. And 75% of it is here's how I would fix it. It is alarming to me when someone comes and says, do you know that this is the problem? And they spend 75% or 80% (laughs) of the time just complaining about legitimately what's wrong. The people that are going to differentiate, leaders don't want to hear the problems. They it's know not the that they don't know that there aren't the problems. They want help on the solutions. So the people that are going to get ahead in this country 
in any industry are the people who are going to come and solve the issues that our generation or this, you know, administration, whatever it is, can't solve. And so I am a big believer that the number one thing that I think will differentiate and help the next generation of leaders is that if they bring the solutions, solutions to government, solutions to companies, um, identify quickly what the problem is, be pretty sure your boss knows what they are. It's not going to be the first time your boss heard it. But obviously, it's hard to fix. Otherwise, it would have been fixed. No boss, no companies rarely have an intention of not fixing the problems. It's just they're overwhelming. You know, so then if you decide you're going to be the young leader, and it's not even in your job description, but you're going to take on helping make that work. Um, one of the things that I did very early on in my career that probably was a differentiator, not some of the things yeah. I talked about, was, you know what? It's not even in my job description. It's not my department, but it's an issue, and I'm actually going to get people, and we're going to solve it. Um, and I'm going to present it to management after we have a solution. And it's going to take hours that aren't in my day job, and they may not want to go for it, and that's the risk I'm going to take because they didn't ask me to do it because I wasn't assigned to it. Um, so I think you have to have that initiative. But you know, my headline would be, you know, solve there are problems. And what's going to make you tomorrow's leader is if you can find the solution that perhaps your boss and your boss's boss can't solve. And if you can find the solution, you should be the next leader. So earn the right. You know, shame the company into promoting you because you had such a great idea. <laughs> right? So that, that's what I believe. Next week on Radiate, Steve Schwartzman. We hear how a kid from Philadelphia created one of the largest firms on Wall Street. Thanks for joining us. I'm Betty Lou. If you liked what you heard, please review us on iTunes and find me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. See you next week on Radiate.